Hello, it's Audio, Carson Stooley. What follows is the weekly appearance of lead prospect analyst Kyla McDaniel. Weekly appearance of Kyla McDaniel during the course of the conversation to follow. I ask uh, Kylie about some Atlanta area prep prospects uh, for the 2015 draft that he has seen recently. Seen recently. I ask Kyla McDaniel about some Nashville area prep prospects for the 2015 draft, uh, who he's seen recently as well. Less recently, but also recently. We talk about Vanderbilt baseball. We talk about how colleges recruit generally, to the degree that Kyla McDaniel knows how colleges recruit generally. We also discuss uh, Mike Fultonevich and uh, Carlos Frias, who made uh, their season debuts, at least their starting debuts, uh, in the case of Fultonevich, his actual major league debut uh, over the course of the last week. Both hard throwers, what did their futures hold in store? Is uh, not something I ask specifically, but they imply heavily. Uh, none of that sounds interesting to you. At least what follows is relatively easy to listen to. You can just not do anything, and it's easy. It's not. E- it's easy. Not hard. Um, let's see. Yes. So that conversation is to follow. Uh, before that, as he does every week, Kyla McDaniel has supplied a musical interlude. So what you will hear is the end of this introduction, a brief musical interlude supplied by Kyla McDaniel, and then a conversation with that same. Lead prospect analyst. It is Fangraphs Audio featuring Kyla McDaniel, and it begins now. That I am the greatest of all time forever and ever. What surprise! What surprise! I'm back. To make it out the ice cold streets of the city, you better have a Christopher Word game with it. You better have a game Yeah, good. Oh, I should be even Remember that so this power, doesn't happen again. Power cycle my modem. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to power cycle it. Um, I don't know if you just saw on Twitter uh, like maybe 10 minutes ago, <laughs> there was a um, an excellent animated GIF uh, um, shared by the minor league account. And it was it – was, uh, you could infer – it was just a picture of a right-handed batter in the batter's box and then the catcher behind him. All right. It was a set it and I know who it is. You know, wait, you've, you've seen it then? I saw it on Facebook, actually. Oh, you saw it? Well, I don't even know. I don't know when it happened. I think recent, recently. I think it was last night. It's very good, though. I've catch, never seen that before. The catcher catches it, and you can infer from context that someone is trying to steal third base. Yeah. And but the batter just does not move at all. And also the catcher does not know that he's not moving, and he throws it right into his stomach. <laughs> I really thought – it took me a couple of times through watching it. I thought that what had happened um, – and I don't know if you remember ever the footage of um, Izzy Alcantara um, who after he got hit in a minor league game. I think he had been at one point a Red Sox prospect, and maybe he still was at this point, or maybe he had moved on to a different organization. I think he also played within the Cubs system. But Izzy Alcantara, this must have been like, this is 15 years ago probably, was uh, hit by a pitch. I think he, he, he was under the impression that it was intentional. And he did one of the smartest things, very calculated, very cynical, but smart. He made sure his, that his first action was to kick the catcher. Right in the chest. Well, yeah, kick him back, back over. So, uh, so to make sure that he would not be caught on his way out to the pitcher to go beat his ass. Clearly had thought, if not thought about it the pitch before. Yeah. Thought about it in the past, like, hey, next time I run at the pitcher, I should be doing this. Yeah, that, yeah, and it's a great strategy. Although I think, I, I don't know 
how much trouble he got into. And you might have had sort of behavioral stuff before that. But um, it does – it suggests a level of premeditation um, that probably, you know, the uh, the commissioner and his, and his office would not look kindly upon. But in this – what we saw in this particular case is a guy – I thought what had happened in this new gif, I thought what had happened was – the catcher had caught the ball, stood up, and then punched the guy in the stomach. Um, that's not what happened, though. You you cut out again in the last couple of minutes. Then it's not me, Kylie. It's not me. <laughs> it's not me. I really wish you would yell sometimes. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Yeah, no, I got most of what you said. I was just kind of missing a word here and there. I don't know if the recording... Because I guess the recording is based off of what your computer yeah, is, so, so it's going to get you crystal clear. So it doesn't matter if I can't hear you. As long as you could put together what I'm saying. No, I, I keep thinking when it gets patchy, I assume it's going to be recorded patchy, but I guess it's that's not. not the case. Yeah. It's not, Kylie. It hears me crystal clear. All right. Well, then I won't I won't uh, complain when it sounds like you're getting patchy because right. I realize the listener won't be hearing that. So you hadn't seen that before is your point. Uh, Which, the Izzy Alcantar, I think? No, no, the, uh, the 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 not punch to the gut that he was actually trying to throw a guy out at third. No, I saw that like an hour ago. What is the? I mean, what is the catcher? A catcher typically at that point, he seems like he takes a step back and to his left, maybe. Yeah, well, it's worth noting the hitter was Luke Maley, the catcher for the other team. So maybe he assumed he would get out of the way, and he just didn't. Mm-hmm. Because you know, catcher catcher's going to be catching. I think is clear. Yeah, you would know the answer to this more than I would, I, although I don't know if you know the answer. <clears throat> um, ha- having played baseball myself, I know that every time I stole a base, or I should say attempted to steal a base when I played in a high school and all the lo- levels lower than that, it was because I had given been given a signal by my coach, right? Um, I, I have heard tell, however, that there are certain players who uh, who are given who who are told by their coaches it is up to your discretion, right? You have a green light is the idea. Um, from your sense, what percentage of runners do have a green light? And because I, I'm thinking that ties in maybe if the runner on second just has a permanent green light that he would try and steal, but the batter might not know about it. Uh, I would say a couple guys on each team, depending on the team's uh, leanings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be one or two, like the center fielder and like one of the infielders. Mm-hmm. Or for a team that's more aggressive, it may be four or five guys. But I do think the manager likes the idea of being able to, you know, have some influence over when things happen and when they don't. So I think they tend to keep it under five per team. Right. And do you notice, uh, I mean, that leads to... I mean, at the minor league and college level and uh, um, high school, the prep level as well, do you do you sense the teams? Um, I'm trying to. I mean, like I, I sense that, like in the minor leagues, uh, teams will typically ask guys to steal more often than they might at the major league level, because it is a developmental league, and you're attempting to see, you're attempting to um, help this guy. If he has any shot, you're trying to first of all discern whether he has any shot of um, becoming a, any, you know, a sort of stolen base threat in the major leagues. And you also, if he is already naturally fast, you want him to become accustomed to that. So, I mean, would you would you guess, without looking at the numbers, that the stolen base attempt rate is higher in the minor leagues than the majors? Uh, I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. 
And also because you're more likely to steal the base, much like you're more likely to have an error on a bunt in the minor leagues and lower levels and all that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. I don't know. How, I don't know how. Did, did, would it affect your ability to uh, assess the prospect at all? Knowing that, or is you're just like, oh, okay, well, he stole, and this is what's happening. This is how fast he made it, or et cetera. Yeah, I have no idea what you said. <laughs> really? Okay. I don't know what to do. It's really disheartening. You sound fine now. It's when you go on your long monologues, it seems to. <laughs> I think the internet's getting bored by what you're saying. Yeah, well, so... <laughs> I'm I'm bored by what I'm saying. <laughs> so okay? it's taking its cues from you. So yeah, there's some Listen, sort of machine learning happening up there. You went to Friday. You went to a game on. Let's talk about this now. Maybe you didn't like the subject. You went to a game. You went to a game on Friday. Is that true? Uh, also known as yesterday, I went to two games. Yeah. Okay, you went to two games. Yep, doubled yeah, pre- them up. Uh, what sort of games are these? Prep games? College games? Yeah, I actually didn't know this until uh, yesterday, but the playoffs in Georgia high school baseball, uh, instead of playing an elimination game, you play two games, and if you split the two games, you play a third game the next day. So some of these teams are actually playing today. Oh, okay. All right. So this is this is for the playoffs. And so you were able... Wait, do they play those both of those games on the same day? Yeah, they just play a double-header. They play a double-header. Uh, what, two seven-inning games? Uh, well, yeah. Though the first game I went to only went five because it was a blowout. Uh, but, oh. yeah, high school is also only seven-inning games, so, of course, right. they're seven-inning games. <laughs> so, so they have a mercy rule? Yes, ten runs in five innings. It'll differ a little bit uh, state to state. I think I want to say there's a state that has a 15 runs in three innings rule. Uh, and sometimes they'll take away the mercy rule in certain playoff games, and there's like a lot of differences. But I think om- almost all the states have a ten run, five run rule. All right. Okay. Ten, ten run, five inning rule. And so, who who did you get a chance to see in this case? So the challenge in suburban Atlanta, since there are players on all four sides of the downtown, the generally in the suburbs. Is if you're going to do the doubleheader, either find a guy you need to see two games of, or if you only see one game, find a way to double up where there's a guy within 20, 30 minutes of you because the first game usually starts at four and then will end during rush hour. <laughs> and then you have to go during rush hour in terrible Atlanta traffic to another game. And it worked out that Cornelius Randolph, a potential first, likely first rounder, uh, like a third, third baseman probably is his fit, uh, Georgia high school kid. Uh, he played about 15 miles away from Daz Cameron, who I think we've talked about a couple times on yeah, here, yeah. who I wasn't planning to see again this year, uh, but this is uh, potentially Daz Cameron's last game of the year, and there have been tons of rumors of teams in the top 10 that wanted to see him, and I was like, all right, well, can't hurt to go see a potential top 10 guy, an extra bat or two, and more importantly, see who's there. Uh, so I went to oh, go see... see who's there. Yeah, especially... I think I've talked about this before, but uh, especially if, like, say... Sam in Florida, I've seen all the amateur players I need to see. I know what the evaluations are. If anything, I'd like to go to California and see some guys. And there's maybe not a good minor league game in the area. Do I go to a game? If I go more than three or four days without going to a game, I just go to whatever the best one is in the area, even if I don't necessarily need to see the guy to change my opinion, just so I can see who's at the game, talk to people. I I get by far my best information from people at games. Uh, Because the people that will talk to me, via text and email will also talk to me at games, but there's a whole second set of people that's a much larger group uh, that typically kind of only talk to me at games. Mm-hmm. And when you're just standing next to a guy for two hours, a lot of little nuggets will come out like every five or ten minutes. And a lot of times it'll be like the name of a guy nearby you didn't know about or, you know, one of their top minor league guys from their team hit 98 last night. But, you know, it's just when an idle chat it will come up. 
So for mm-hmm. me, especially down the stretch in the draft, see who's there. Uh, I make a note on all of the games I go to for the draft, you know, who's here, what their rank is, and then see if there's some patterns. And then uh, in this case, it was who's at Des Cameron, how's he doing, uh, and this also was the only game I could double up with uh, with Randolph because Randolph, they won 10 nothing in five innings in the first game, and it turns out the second game I wasn't at, they won 17 to nothing, and the guys were throwing in like the 70s, so it like wasn't a great game to go to anyway. Right, So, and it should be noted, uh, on your most recent edition of the MLB Draft Rankings for the 2015 Amateur Draft, you had uh, Randolph 22nd overall, and then you had Cameron higher than that. Uh, yeah, like 17, 18, something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, yeah, 17, exactly. So that's a that's a that's a pretty exciting talent in the area. Now you have mentioned Daz Cameron, of course. That's Mike Cameron's son. Yeah. Yep, Mike Cameron um, is at all of his games. Oh, that's uh, very cool. And uh, gave me a little side eye at one of them. I'm not sure if he knew who I was, <laughs> or if he was mad that I was blocking his view of the field. Maybe. Probably that. Yeah. Uh, and then Cornelius Randolph is uh, is 22nd. We haven't talked about him as much, but he was lefty power. Uh, and then questions about the position. It seemed like from your report. Yep, he's a shortstop in high school. He played third base over the summer on the showcase circuit and wasn't fantastic, and he's like a bigger, stronger, kind of barrel-chested guy. Uh, so some guys just see the body and they're like, oh, that's not an infielder. But you kind of watch him. It's pretty good actions, moves pretty well. He's comparable to Michael Chavis from last year, another Georgia high school guy that went the first round of the Red Sox, in that he's a high school shortstop that will not play shortstop in pro ball probably at all. Some people think he can play second. Uh, the most likely place is third, and then some people will see some things they don't like and say, no, he's more of an outfielder. And mm-hmm. they both they both have that same sort of uh, profile where it's maybe second, but for no more than four or five years probably. Third base is probably the fit, which the Red Sox aren't even toying with second base. They're putting, putting a Chavis straight at third base, which is what I think what most teams will do with Randolph. And then some guys just, you know, maybe don't like the hands or the way some stuff works or the body or whatever, and they'll just say, yeah, outfield. But that's sort of a, a minority opinion on both of them. And and, and when you say outfield, I, do you mean corner outfield probably? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both, uh, Chavis is probably slightly above average runner, but he's like a real big dude. He's going to slow down. And Randolph's probably a little more of a fringy runner. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's very exciting. But, but he's Randolph's been like raking all spring. Has above average power. Has hit everywhere he's been. Like, uh, if you if you think you can get a 55 bat, 55 power second baseman, <laughs> hits lefty. Like that's a it's a pretty good fit. So I don't think he'll get past about 25, 28, something like that. And you um, now did it work out for you? Everything uh, you said you like to even if you've seen guys, uh, you still. Uh, um, you still like to go to the games for what you might uh, come across? Did, did, did it work out for you to the degree you like? Yeah, there were, I'd say, about 10 or 12 scouts at Randolph's game, and it turned out uh, I didn't know most of them, which tells you that he's uh, definitely seen as a first-rounder because I know most, if not all, of these sort of area scouts in this area, most, if not all, of the Southeast cross-checkers uh, that are sort of their bosses. Mm-hmm. I also either know or can recognize the scouting directors and most of the VPs. And so if I don't know somebody, it either means it's a national guy that's not based in the Southeast or it's a guy from the office or it's like the roving hitting coordinator. Like all the like second and third and fourth opinion guys, Mm -hmm. those are the guys that were there yesterday. Oh, cool. All right. Well, that's exciting then. 
Yeah, and that's, I remember one of the, uh, one of the guys that sort of gave me a heads up because they don't, they don't announce the times very well for these playoff games. So I had to coordinate with a couple area scouts to make sure I was, you know, BPs at this time, games at this time. And, uh, he was like, yeah, just let me know who's there. And I was like, I don't recognize anybody. He's like, oh, okay, so he's going in the first round. <laughs> like he immediately picked up on what I meant. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's an interesting tip. Uh, it is, it was, uh, cause I believe at one point, uh, you, it was you who pointed out, um, uh, it alerted the uh, the the owner operators of the Cespedes family barbecue Twitter feed that Ben Charrington you, he was visible in the background of a Vanderbilt game. Yes, of course Vanderbilt has a number of players, probably of some interest to pro teams, uh, uh, but Carson Fulmer was the one pitching, and so it's, you know it's uh, it's not uh, beyond. Well, he's, the, he's the only one playing that made sense for the Red Sox for their first round pick. Mm-hmm. given where everyone's supposed to go, and Charrington was presumably only going to be there for one day, and he went on the day Fulmer was pitching. So you kind of put two and two together right. there. Right, yeah. Um, but it is it, there are some shots, and um, I have noticed this watching more college baseball this year, there are some shots where you can get a pretty good look. You know, I don't know who I'm seeing necessarily, but you do see people in the front row who are something other than just uh, big-time you know, Vanderbilt Commodore fans. Yeah, actually, I, I may have told you this. Uh, that shot that you posted of the the scout section for South Carolina, because they have a unique setup where it's like two rows on field level, and then like a standing area where all the all the scouts stand, which is a very low good angle that the scouts like. Uh, you can see about twelve scouts, and I think I know ten of them, <laughs> which is another example of oh, when it's in the southeast, like I'm gonna at the very least recognize the faces and know what team they work for. Is this one of those uh, situations where you you want me to give you a medal, Kyla McDaniel? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pointing out that like if, right. if that were to happen at a Fullerton game, mm-hmm. you know, a handful maybe, you yeah. know, may, if there's twelve guys there, I might know two or three of them. Right. And then for a game in the southeast, it'll be like. That's the ones I'm supposed to know. I no, should also add, there, I, I was able to make out a couple guys at the Randolph game mm-hmm. and uh, relayed that to a scout who told me, oh, one of those teams that you mentioned was there. They've been at every single game I've been to of Randolph. And I was like, oh, I'll file that one away for the mock draft, uh, which I will reveal later when I do a mock draft. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Cameron's game, uh, a team in the top ten that I didn't know was on Cameron had two guys there, and I alerted the scout. I said, hey, there's – Two guys from this team there. He goes, oh yeah, they were in there like three or four deep with some heavy hitters last week. I think they're on him. Another nugget I will, you know, let you guys know about later when the mock draft comes around. And also Jeff Luna was there, which was not surprising at all because Houston has had a high level guy at almost all of Cameron's games this year and all the ones I've been to. So yeah. So that was another thing that I wouldn't have known unless I went to that game uh, and skipped, you know, Griffin's second game, and then I think I missed the first inning or two just because of traffic and everything. And I so Jeff Luna was just hanging out in Atlanta. Yeah, the, well, doing work in Atlanta. He's a well, I've like I said, I've seen Atlanta. Also, is a very good spot to scout this year because there's like I don't know seven or eight high school guys that could go in the top three rounds, and then with Georgia and Georgia. Georgia Tech, especially if they're both home, you'll have midweek and possibly weekend matchups to hit. Uh, Georgia State every now and then will get a decent matchup. Clemson's only a couple hours away. Uh, Nashville for Kennesaw, Vandy. Kennesaw. Yeah, Kennesaw's got some guys. You also have Alabama's not that far. So a lot of, a lot of people will come to Georgia during the week to maybe get a, a Friday, get the high school guys during the week, and then sort of hop in the car and drive a couple hours in whatever direction to get other guys. So you end up seeing 
and a lot of a lot of cross checkers and uh, directors and VPs and GMs and whatnot. Uh, Keith Law, but the other game I was going to go to was uh, I think I've mentioned here Tyler Stevenson at Kennesaw Mountain, who I've seen a couple times. Uh, I was going to go to his game, but then I saw if he wins, he'll be playing against Seth Beer, uh, who's one of the top guys for 2016. Turns out uh, Stevenson won, so they'll move on. But uh, Seth Beer's team is playing the tiebreaker today, so I'll find out uh, when I go see Kennesaw Mountain next week if they're going to play Seth Beer's team or not. So Keith Law flew in from ESPN, and he went to that game because he hadn't seen Stevenson yet, and he said the D-backs GM Dave Stewart was there, which doesn't make any sense because Stevenson's supposed to go, like, 15 to 30, and, like, the D-backs pick one and something a lot lower than one, Hmm. uh, 43. Presumably won't get to that pick. So it seems a little weird that a GM would go in for a guy that probably isn't an option for you. Uh, But pretty much everything the Diamondbacks have done in the Tony La Russa, Dave Stewart era hasn't made a lot of sense, so... Who am I to question? Yeah, par for the course. And that's a golf reference <laughs> when I say that. Thank you. Yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 speaking of scouting trips, you, I think, also went to Nashville. Is that true? Yes, I did. You did. When did you do that? Uh, that was Monday and Tuesday. That's great. That's great. Well, Nashville, uh, my experience of Nashville is that it's an excellent city. Um and, oh, that also, may have been the place we first met, right? I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some, a uh, magical city for the podcast. <laughs> it uh, also, um, yeah, and it also has uh, some good uh, some good college baseball uh, because we have, uh, of course, Vanderbilt there, and which brings a lot of SEC teams through. And then, uh, and I'm sure you can think of other reasons why it's good, but it, there's also, uh, well, if you want to see some AAA baseball, you can do that too, I suppose. I should mention uh, when I, I – Oh, I was texting with uh, with Nick Picoro from uh, the was it Arizona Republic? Yeah, that's right. It covers the Diamondbacks, and it and is one <laughs> of the like, great, one of the good guys. One of the greats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he te- after he saw my tweet from a Nashville barbecue place, he was like, "Oh, Kylie's in Nashville right before the draft. I wonder what he's doing." And I was like, "Actually, I'm seeing two high school guys and then leaving. I'm not going to, to Vanderbilt." And then I talked to him actually today on the phone. And uh, I forgot what we were talking about, but I made some reference to the podcast. Oh, I was saying he should come on the podcast, which I'm not sure if I actually meant that or not. Um, but then he goes, if I ever come on the podcast, the intro music better be this. And he goes, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> <laughs> he did like a, like a mouth trumpet impression of the intro music. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is grounds to get him on the podcast, just to try to get that impression out of him. We actually, uh, Nick Picoro. Um, has been a guest three times on Fangraphs Audio. Really? Yeah, he has. And in and, and every occasion, it has been at the uh, in the dining facility of, the, of of a major league press box. Oh, he's uh, been there on the phone. No, no, we've been. It's been face to face. Wow, you're uh, just out there reporting. Yeah, I was well, not reporting, but it was it's just talking to another beat writer. That's how that's how I roll. Uh, the media yeah, we, loves them some. Media. We talked. Uh, we talked first at the um, the canteen in the Milwaukee Brewers press box, and then we talked at the canteen at the Chicago Cubs press box, and then uh, the Boston Red Sox press box. So, uh, so it's been a nice aside where we talk about how much we like Nick Picoro. <laughs> I think he's a great guy. I, I really do. I think he's a, he's a solid guy. He's he's. Uh, I would say he's generous with his time. That's better hair than either of us for sure. Yep. Yep. And Italian, so flawless in that regard. 
as you can see. Uh, and then, so who, now, you had mentioned, I think you had previewed that to some degree, there is a Nashville area high school kid uh, that you had mentioned. Two um, of them. Yes. Right, and one of them was a Vandy commit? Both of them are. God, is one of them named, shot in the dark, Donnie Everett? Yes, it was. Is another one named, oh wait, <laughs> I don't have that one. Yes, I do, Bryce Denton. Yep, you got it. Uh, one is a pitcher, one's a position player. Correct. Cool. And, and, another, and another funny thing is you've talked about, or I feel like we've talked about that like apparently Vanderbilt gets whoever they want whenever they want. And if you're a high school player that's any good around Nashville, they will have you by the time like you're a freshman in high school. Yeah. I was at the Bryce Denton game, and I knew he was only got to watch on his team really. And then the other team took infield, and I was kind of half paying attention. And then I noticed their shortstop actually looked pretty good defensively. I was like, oh, this guy's pretty decent. I'm, he must not be able to hit, or I would know his name. And then uh, and then after his first at bat, I w- he was sitting left-handed. Uh, and so I went over to see, just like, oh, let's see what the swing looks like. And uh, it was like had some bat speed. He like squared it up, got a hit. I was like, wow, that guy's pretty good. And I had been standing behind... Uh, the like next to the opening to the dugout for his team and I sort of chatted with his coach just a little bit and uh and so I walked over after the inning I go uh who, who's the shortstop because his name is Alex Brewer and I'm like is he a senior expecting him to say yeah he's going to such and such junior college or whatever and I was going to say like oh he's actually pretty good he might sign uh and he goes he's a junior and I was like oh okay and he goes he's going to Vandy and I was like oh, of course he is okay yeah <clears throat> but yeah. That, that, that's always a fun experience though because when you some people think that like the purest form of scouting is know absolutely nothing about the player, watch them for 20 minutes, and then come up with the right answer. Mm-hmm. Because especially these days, you can go look at his you know perfect game ranking or where he's committed to or you know who his dad is or whatever, and kind of like get a decent idea of what he probably looks like as a player without even seeing him. And then when you go see him, you're just sort of impacted by that information more than actually scouting him. Right. And so it was like sort of a nice like little pick me up. It was like, oh, I noticed that guy. It took me about ten minutes to notice him, and then he had a good effect. How many like, medals? How many medals do you want during the course of one podcast? Kylie? It's, yeah, that wasn't supposed to be an advertisement for me being a genius. It was mm-hmm. that's wh- how that's supposed to go, okay, and I happened yeah. to stumble right. into. It. Well, I'm happy for you. I am happy. Yeah. I am genuinely happy for you, Kylie. You and know, it was also funny because of the whole Vandy thing. It's like if you were in Nashville and you were good you're yeah. going to Vanderbilt. How do you think it happens? Or how do you know it happens? Uh, you know, um, I mean, Vanderbilt has obviously developed a good program, but this could be any any school I'm talking about. What is that What is that process like? Is it is it that Tim Corbin or one of Tim Corbin's associates, do they actually see the kid first and that's how it happens, or do they catch wind? Do they somehow catch wind of this kid being good? It sounds like you really want me to say catch wind. Yeah, do they... Like with regard to the wind, like what's the relationship? Is it like a catching type relationship? Can you tell me about Nashville's wind vis-a-vis? <laughs> See, I, I used vis-a-vis too. No, you did. Yeah. What was the other one? Console. Oh, people won't have heard it because this was uh, the part we've had to delete because the audio quality was terrible. But it, consigliere. Yeah. There you go. I nailed yeah. it. All right. Uh, so, but tell me more about uh, tell me more about how you think that. Uh, Vanderbilt coach Tim Corbin et al. Uh, have uh, gathered this information about, what is his name, Alex Brewer, you said? Yeah, Alex okay. Brewer. And, and it turns out uh, the scout that was there told me, yeah, he'll be on the East Coast Pro team. You're going to see him a lot this summer. So okay. I was like, like, oh, okay, that's a guy just getting a good first look at. Right. Um, yeah, so it happens a couple different ways. It's very beneficial. Uh, I think Florida, the Gators are like this in the state of Florida, along with, to a different degree, Miami and Florida State. 
Uh, whereas if you're one of the big dogs, uh, mm-hmm. people want you to know about players, and so they'll tell you. But when you get a tip from, I don't know, an agent or a scout who happens to run into a freshman, be like, oh, this guy's pretty good. I got a friend on the Florida staff. I'll give him a heads up. Uh, although traditionally, last, you know, 10 years or so, the college recruiters know about players way before scouts do. And every now and then a scout or an agent may run into a guy with a nice matchup. Uh, but them running into him in a nice matchup means he's in an area where there's players already, which means that guy was known about two years ago. Okay. Uh, and oftentimes scouts will say, like, oh, if I want to know, like, a follow list for my area, like, right when the draft happens, who are the guys for next year, I just look at the college commits, and whoever's in my area committed to a D1 school, I know they're guys I need to go see, especially if it's, like, a Florida or Vanderbilt. It's like those guys go straight to the top of the list because I know those guys only pick good players or players with tools or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they either get tipped off, uh, by, you know, someone sympathetic to the, to the program that, you know, happens to be, uh, out there letting them know, or maybe the coach in the area faces a guy as a freshman and goes, this is a guy. Uh, although I, I would say usually they'll go find the guys by going to like 14 and 15 under travel teams and like all these, if you go to the perfect game website, you'll see some of the events like the national and the, uh, the all American classic, which are the things all the scouts go to. Uh, the All-American Games on TV, like the sort of big events, mm-hmm. there are dozens and dozens and dozens of smaller events, and there's like Little League events and like 13 and 14U tournaments and things like that. There are college coaches at all of those. Really? And, yeah. And so, like, I mean, we've talked about how sometimes the very best kids at their age groups will be committed during their freshman year in high school. Um, that means they knew about it when he was in eighth grade. So what's the what's the or what are the earliest commits you've heard? Have we talked about this? I've I've heard between eighth grade and ninth grade there have been guys, and I think it's pretty common for there to be uh, during the freshman year. Most of the big programs will get one player at that stage, and then once they become sophomores is when you get most of the top players will kind of commit, and then junior year maybe some kids want to wait a year or two, or you know parents want to wait until see what all the options are. But yeah, by by during your junior year is about as late as it gets. And I would say by the end of like showcase season, like 90% of the players that are any good are committed somewhere. And the ones that aren't are typically either came out of nowhere, football guys that haven't played baseball, or guys that are automatically going to sign and don't really need to be committed anywhere. Okay, cool. But yeah, if, like, if you're like Vanderbilt and you're discovering a guy on the showcase circuit, it's like a 99% chance that he's already taken as far as college commitment. Right. And so you typically don't see college recruiters at those things. But when there'll be sort of mixed events like Jupiter, the big tournament in October, where it's just kids playing games, uh, that's a huge thing for college recruiters because there's like 300 scouts at these 16 fields in Jupiter, uh, and there's probably 200, 300 college coaches because the the teams, the sort of senior teams that tend to be like the draft-eligible seniors and the guys you want to watch will just have 20 scouts at every game. And then the lower level, like the junior team for some huge uh, like travel program, those will have 20 college recruiters at them trying to pick out which guys they want. So when you say college recruiters, is it typically the, the head coach? Is that is that how it works? Uh, they'll come in late in the process. Typically it's the uh, – I mean, they'll, they'll be more sort of playing golf and, you know, dealing with head coach stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be the recruiting coordinator and the coaches. That and those are, are actual know. positions within most uh, you know, D1 programs or at least high, high – Yeah, level. I think every D1 program has pitching coach, hitting coach, and, like, recruiting coordinator, director of baseball ops, whatever. Uh, usually it's either the pitching or hitting guy is the coordinator of recruiting, and then there's a baseball ops guy that kind of is, like, the administrator for all that stuff. Hmm. 
So yeah, there's typically four kind of positions and there's usually a, uh, volunteer assistant. And I think I want to say some of the, the higher revenue schools will usually sneak in a fourth guy here or there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they, you know, like say like you're Arkansas. If there's a kid in Arkansas, you're going to hear about him it's way sooner than anyone else because they want you to hear about him. And that's the, why the, the other coach, the, the high school coaches do. Yeah, they want their kids to go there because typically they're fans of Arkansas. And so sometimes it's just the problem of you're just getting so many little tips here and there from guys you don't know. You're waiting for a tip from a guy that knows what he's talking about or when one of your guys goes and sees him or, or you know, that sort of thing. Right. Okay. Oh, but yeah, that's, that, that's how, that's how, you know, schools will sort of put a, a fence around a hundred miles around their campus. If there's a guy they know, uh, that's any good in their area, they're going to at least have first dibs, if not get him. Can you think off the top of your head, and if you don't have it, then that's fine. Can you think of a school, a school, a college that has had some success, um, and yet does not necessarily is not necessarily located in uh, any sort of hotbed like you're saying? Like they don't necessarily have all all that talent from with you know within a hundred miles circumference. Uh, Virginia comes to mind. I mean, they're near the Carolinas. Virginia has some talent, but they are always loaded. Uh-huh. And it's not necessarily a hotbed for high school talent there. And to a degree, Nashville and Vanderbilt's the same way. I mean, there's two guys this year. Typically, there's usually only one sort of elite guy in Nashville area. Um, but they're both like good academic places that are strong baseball traditions and can recruit nationally and go into Florida and steal a guy from the Gators. And typically, it's going to be the higher income, more focused on education. Parents like, do I want my kid to go to UVA or go to Florida? Like, well, if that's the only option, I want them to go to UVA. And typically, the kids making the decisions like that are going to be way harder to sign and get to campus more often. Right. And so, if you've got that academic advantage, the you know hundred mile radius thing doesn't really matter. But and there's a very small handful of schools that have that and have the base. Tradition. What's the? What do you think is the is the most successful northernmost? Is is the is the the school that is both the northernmost school that has also has success in college baseball? I mean, I guess I pay attention to it more in terms of uh, you know who has prospects as opposed to who made the college world series. But mm-hmm. like BC's had some success. St. John's has had some success. Uh, that's kind of it. Like, I guess Oregon and Oregon State are pretty far north. Yeah, right. That's a good point. Although, they, they, I guess, I, yeah, they're, they're far north, but they don't have the absolutely soul-crushing winters of the, of yeah. the places that are further east. Um, and, like, the Big Ten schools kind of go in cycles. Like, Illinois will be okay sometimes. Michigan will be okay sometimes. Ohio State will be okay at times. But yeah, that's right. Well, well they've never, like, five- to ten-year runs where they've had, like, tons of players or, like, on the national stage. But right. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, Virginia and and the Oregon schools are probably the northernmost with success, and by no means are those like, you know, snow on the field in March kind of places. Right. Yeah, and ty- now Tyler J, he actually looks – so Tyler J is at Illinois right now. He's uh, – I think he's projected to go in the first round, right? And he actually appears I'll to – Yeah, yeah he, and he actually appears to be a, a native of Illinois, which I guess shouldn't be surprising in this case, right? Yeah. That, that, that's the kind of guys Illinois gets. Okay. Yeah. Well, good job. Uh, good job, Illinois. Very good. Uh, I want to ask you, um, we don't have to go too much longer. Um, but, uh, I want to ask you about a couple pro guys. Not uh, about the Avengers? No, not about the Avengers, which you're going to see tomorrow. We should note. Um, we talked about that. We, we really should note that. You're right. We should note. It's great, great information. Um, uh, Michael Fult- 
Fultinevich. Fultinevich. You say it. You got it right. Okay. He made his uh, he made his major league debut. He did. Um, I watched it. I will give you my idiots analysis, and then I invite you to say something. Anything. Is there is there a time when you give the smart guys analysis? No, or is that's that a, okay. no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I just give the imbeciles uh, imbeciles analysis. Um, fastball was uh, fastball was hard. Good job. Um, real fast. <laughs> yeah, it was real fast. Um, <clears throat> he tried to throw. Uh, I guess he's been working on a hard slider. Is one thing I heard, and he threw that hard yes. slider a bunch, but it lacked. He was not. I can actually say this factually. He was not finishing it. It was it was it was yes. ending up high to the arm side a lot. Yes, that is what I saw when I saw him two weeks ago. He needs to finish it. <laughs> hey, bro, finish your slider. Yeah, come on, bro. Come on, guy who's already. But he does have. I was actually surprised. I feel like I did. He have longer hair at one point or something. <laughs> We've already gone to the imbeciles part of this. He 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 looked. He looked looser than I had seen him before. I know that's a that's a, an adjective you use, but he looked looser and more athletic than I thought I had seen him. But maybe I was confusing him with somebody else at that time, or possibly I was watching him on a, a MILB TV feed where everything sometimes look look gray and the dimensions are not always correct. Yeah, no, that all sounds accurate. Um, but he is a. He does. He, he didn't necessarily throw. Now, here's a strange thing. I was watching Fultonovich and oh no, Fultonovich. I was watching Fultonovich, so I was watching, and he did not necessarily. I did not feel as though he threw with a great deal of effort, and yet he does not possess great command. Um, yes, I know that that, that, so, that frequently effort is a proxy for command, um, but it it must not be the only thing. There must be what just natural talent associated. Well, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Sanchez is another one of those guys that it, it doesn't look like especially stressful, but he doesn't necessarily always put it in the right place. And mm-hmm. I think both guys don't have trouble throwing strikes, but have trouble throwing good strikes, which is kind of the definition of command. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I should also note I pulled up my notes on Fultonevich. I saw his first start of the year, uh, like I think like April tenth or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had his slider at eighty to eighty three. And it had him as throwing a curveball in this game that was from seventy two to eighty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He threw that too. He threw that too a couple times. He 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 waited a little bit. Then he started. He might have thrown it for a couple first first uh, first pitches. But what, yeah, what I'm saying is when I saw him, it was curveball seventy two seventy five slider eighty eighty three like two different pitches that didn't bleed together. Mm-hmm. It appears even pitch effects or the the pitch tagging system couldn't tell them apart, and the peak velocity was 81, and I had him sitting at 81 for or 80, 80 83, so like an average of 81 yeah. uh, for his slider. It. So clearly, not only not finishing it, but not with the same kind of arm speed. But right. the the fastball velocity was exactly the same, and the changeup was about the same. The changeup I saw did not. So that have... suggests he just didn't have feel for the curveball right. slash slider, and they were kind of bleeding into each other, and just wasn't a good breaking ball day for him. Right. It, it, yeah, it wasn't. And then he did throw one. He threw one at one point. He had an 0-2 count on Brandon Phillips, and he threw him a decent breaking pitch, but um, Brandon Phillips was able to stay back on it. And, like, after his, he had thrown his body – well, he thrown his body entirely forward, but he kept his hands back, and he just kind of, like, lofted it over um, over Jace Peterson, actually, so he lofted it over. Podcast favorite. Yeah, podcast. Yeah, into center field. Um, but the but the that did not look like a swing and miss pitch, really. The slider. Is that your impression? 
Uh, well, if the slider he was throwing maxed out at 81 with uh, velocity as a proxy for sharpness, then no. It flashed – the one I saw when it was 83, 82, 83 would flash a 60 like a couple times in the game. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he didn't even get to that velocity suggests there's no way it was a 60 pitch even once. Right. Yeah, well, it wasn't looking great. It wasn't looking great. And, yeah, he was yeah. really leaving it high arm side. High arm side. Um, but still <clears> – <throat> But still, I, I guess what exciting in the sense that he could throw. He throws that fifth ball, and he also threw. I don't know if he threw when you saw him. He threw this. Um, he threw this two seamer a bunch of times, and he actually got at least one swing and miss, uh, swing and strike on it that I remember. I had it had nice when he threw it right. It had nice, uh, nice depth. It had nice depth on it, Kylie. It was sink is the word you use for uh, for, for that ball. Yeah. Well, it went down is my point. De- depth would be for curveball, curve and you ball. call it bottom for a changeup. Really? Or tumble. Yeah, there's different ways oh, to I say see, it. Oh, yeah, I did see some. It wasn't him. I saw someone else. Although you, you, I guess you can say fade and depth for a changeup also. Yeah. I saw some great tumble the other day. I, I forget who was throwing it. I oh, it might have been Danny. You're doing the laundry. Yeah, it uh, might have been. No, no, Danny Salazar, I think. I was watching his. He's got a great changeup. Oh, yeah. Um, and he also, as you know, Sarah's pointed out, he also now throws a curveball. Not a lot, but uh, not a bad pitch to have just back there that you could throw for a strike. And he actually, I haven't, I didn't look at the pitch effects data, but at least in the game, there appeared to be uh, in the in the past. One difficult thing with Salazar's repertoire has been there's almost no distinction in the movement and velocity of his uh, his split change and his slider because his slider his slider doesn't really have a lot of movement to it. But he actually was getting a little bit more on it, so. Um, I should also know Fultonovich threw a sinker at 92-94 in the game I saw. Mm-hmm. He threw three of them, and that's it. And there was like a legitimate like plus sink, plus velocity, mm-hmm. some idea where it was going, kind of turned it over. That's another term for has sort of like a, Yeah, yeah, I got it. Uh, I get that. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Uh, and he threw three of them, and he threw like 60 four-seamers. And when the guy has trouble with commanding, you're like, oh, well... You don't want this guy getting deep into counts uh, when he's trouble commanding it because he's just going to make a mistake. You want to be an early count, you know, getting ground balls uh, uh, short on the pitch count kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And that's what the sinker gives you, pitch to contact, because at least when you have plus velocity and plus sink means you're going to get less hard contact than if it was obviously a lesser fastball. And there was a Braves guy there, and I turned to him at the end of the start, and I was like, he should throw more of that sinker. Why isn't he throwing that sinker? And the guy's like, I don't know. Like, basically in- implying, like, I'm going to go talk to the pitching coach after the game, and either he had that thought, or he's like, well, I guess I'll go ask that guy. Uh, so I don't know if that got to him, but he threw it three times for his first start of the year and should absolutely <clears> be throwing it more. And I guess he threw it a couple more times, but not that often. Yeah, I mean, it. It you know, watching his start um, – because he did, he threw a lot more of the four seamer, and he, he does throw it hard. But you know, I I think we can agree that Billy Hamilton is not necessarily known for his power. The first at bat, Billy Hamilton saw a couple of his fastballs, and then on a with a count in his advantage, he lined one deep to right field that was caught by Nick Markakis. The next at bat, it was like the same exact circumstance, and then he hit it over Nick Markakis. You know, and so I guess the point is that even Billy Hamilton, who has you know below average power, if you know, it, it, way it, below average power. I believe right. is the correction. Despite his other merits, he was you know he was whacking the ball because that's what major leaguers are going to do. So, 
Major leaguers gun major league. Gonna major league. All right. And then, uh, uh, I should also note there was a high school kid, the Dakota Chalmers, that I saw, and I, when I saw him like a month ago, it was a little wet, and his signature off-speed pitch is a curveball, and he clearly didn't. Ha- you know, when it's wet, often you don't get feel for that sort of pitch because it's about spin, uh, and so. So he was just throwing a fastball 90 to 94 and he was getting like tattooed by this high school team because apparently in the north suburbs of Atlanta 90 to 94 in the strike zone is not enough to get guys out. And so then he started working in an above average changeup which I hadn't seen him throw before and all of a sudden he could then use his curveball as like a get me over pitch to change eye level and I was talking to Scott next to me I was like this guy's making the adjustment right now in early in his high school senior spring that Hunter Harvey's having trouble making in high A. Uh, to work in three pitches and throw your weakest pitch and keep guys off the fastball, like all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to bode well for him long term. Uh, but it's kind of amazing that like these kids in the in the rich suburbs of Atlanta are typically you know play wood bat leagues over the summer. They're all on travel teams. They get you know a lot of reps, all that sort of thing. Like they can just hit ninety ninety four. And so you can only imagine when you're a somewhat predictable, not great command up in the zone ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. Like yeah, big leaguers are going to hit that when they right. come. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about another guy too. I, I forget where he where he appeared on your list. Um, he, uh, but Carlos Frias made his first Dodgers uh, start uh, at least uh, yesterday, and uh, he throws he throws real hard. Uh, he sat he sat at ninety seven uh, yesterday, and um, he didn't necessarily get a ton of strikeouts, but he didn't he didn't really walk anyone, and he got a bunch of ground balls. Um, and I'm curious. Let's see, because uh, because you, you had him as hit, the report was hitting 97. That's where he sat ye- uh, yesterday in his start, I think, or something like well, that. Well, way to call me out in public. No, 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 no. My point is that my point <laughs> is that yeah, I mean that could be it could be a new development. It could be you know I mean obviously these guys are constantly changing, but but even even with his report, you had him 92, 95, hitting 97. Yeah, which is accurate for his pitch effects from last year. So hey, okay, hey, Kylie. <laughs> well, I, no, I'm, I'm pointing out that that is a, a new level of performance. Right. Well, I'm gonna have to. First of all, gonna have to take one of those medals back. No, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but even even 92, 95 is pretty strong. Hitting 97. I'm curious, like, um, with that sort of velocity. I don't know. I, I guess I maybe I was thinking more of in the context of 95, 96. Is that the sort of change which would which might bump him up a, a Dodgers list, for example? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see, uh, that sustained somewhat, um, mm-hmm. but was it, was that in a start that he was throwing that hard? Yesterday it was, yeah. Yeah, let me see, let me see what actually was so, the, uh... So yeah, so this suggests he was 95 to 97 and hit 99 as a starter, which is, what, a full three ticks higher than he was in the same role last year? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Or as the kids would say, P-good. Yeah, P-good, uh... So yeah, so that, that's the I guess yeah he was uh, he was pretty impressive to watch because he he maintained that I mean it is only his first start of the year so who, you know likely not dealing with uh, fat, you know issues related to fatigue or anything like that. Another season. interesting part of looking at his pitch effects numbers he hasn't thrown enough speed pitch yet. <laughs> oh no he uh, wait are you looking maybe maybe it's not including his game from yesterday is that possible? Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that, that's probably right because it basically has been throwing about 100 pitches this year, and it's all two seam, four seam, and cutter. Yeah, he he definitely threw it here. I will. People will hear a slight sound. That is me sending you the data from. Or maybe they didn't hear a sound. Anyway, did you? I don't know if you got that. that is, <laughs> I heard a sound. Yeah. That is uh that's data. 
So actually, that has some change-ups in it, but I'm... Yeah, his cutter... Maybe that is just his cutter, actually, that he throws as a breaking pitch. He well, throws yeah, a my, hard. My, my off-season report says the slider flashes 55, fringy curveball, and change-up. So it is sort of starterish stuff for pitch mix, but if you're sitting mid-90s with like a 70 or better fastball, then you kind of don't need those fringy pitches quite so much anymore. Yeah, and I'm thinking... Yeah. And I, I'm thinking that... Yeah, I guess he threw that cutter, but he throws it hard. I mean, he definitely had movement. He definitely had... Um, you know, glove side movement on on some pitches. But. Yeah, I mean, the thing you just sent me says he threw four off speed pitches and they were all change ups. Right. So it wasn't that different. And they were ninety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the <laughs> slowest pitch he's thrown all year, I believe, has been eighty nine. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Good, good for Carlos. I'm good. not sure how much longer he's going to stay healthy doing this, but. Yeah, he has a he has a, a little bit of a strange. Uh, but if, you're, if your average velocity jumps three ticks when you already threw hard in the first place, I, I mean that. Even, I mean that at the very least increases your injury risk because we also haven't. It's not like he's thrown sixty innings, so he's you know it's clear his body can handle this. Right, right. This is where I, you know, relievers are a little bit of a volatile bunch. Right. Uh, listen, um, I know it might seem because we have typically talked for over an hour. It might seem like cutting it short if I stop now, but I have to go to dinner right now, Kylie. That is one of the three main human needs, it so is. I don't feel like I can get, get in your way here. Yeah, and one of them, I think one of them I'm never going to get, so at least let me have dinner. As Salt and Pepper once said, never going to get it, never going to get it. Never going to get it. Is that, uh, are you sure it was Salt and Pepper? I guess it could have been somebody else. Um, it might have been it, in Vogue. I was going to say, is it in Vogue? I've it heard. is in Vogue, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is wow, we've really finished with a flourish. Um, but I think that En Vogue and Salt and Pepper did a song together at some point, didn't they? Yeah, they did What a Man together. What a mighty good man. Yeah, What a Man. Yeah, that was popular. That was a popular jam. Um, this, this has been the throwback lunch hour with Carson and Kyle. Yeah. Well, but uh, but thank you, but thank you, Kylie, is what I want to say. Oh, oh okay. Um, and I'd like to say uh, that has been Kyle McDaniel. No, wait, that's my line. Okay, well, you, do you want to say it? I was saying thank you, Kylie. I, I've been Kylie McDaniel, the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Right, that has been Kylie McDaniel, the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Garson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.